We have come as far as verse 15 in John chapter 6. So let's start at verse 14. It ties it together. Jesus just feeding the 5,000 men plus women and children. Verse 14 says, Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth <clears throat> that prophet that should come into the world. Deuteronomy 18.15, Moses says, God's going to raise up a prophet like unto me, to him you should give heed, and so forth. Verse 15 says, When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. And when even was now come, his disciples went down into the sea. And entered into a ship and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was now dark, and Jesus was not come unto them. And the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew. So when they had rowed about five and twenty or thirty furlongs, they see Jesus walking on the sea drawing nigh unto the ship, and they were afraid. But he said unto them, It is I, be not afraid. Then they willingly received him into the ship, and immediately the ship was at the land whither they went this remarkable record. Um, the second storm, uh, there was an earlier storm where Jesus was in the boat with them and he was asleep on the oarsman's pillow in the back and they woke him up and said, don't you care, we're perishing. This is the second storm. So we had storm 101, this is storm 102 and these are mandatory classes, not electives. It bothers me. You know, this is written in here, not because most of us will be sailors, not because most of us will be out in a storm at sea. This is written to us because we will have difficult days, because he's the same. And he has something to say to us in our storms, as I be not afraid. Interesting picture comes before us. <clears throat> the crowds. It says they want to take him and make him king. He just fed them. Free food. That's the king the world's looking for. Said the Antichrist is going to come to power that way. It was the cry of Rome, give us bread, give us the circus. And Jesus had fed them. They say, certainly, this is that prophet Moses spoke of. This is that great leader that should come. It's the time of the Passover when God destroyed the Egyptians and <clears throat> set the children of Israel free. The Romans always had extra soldiers during Passover in Jerusalem because that spirit still maintained itself in the celebration of the Passover. And certainly these men think, this is the one. This is who we're with. 
<clears throat> this guy can feed an army of 10,000 people. He's the guy we want to follow. We'll go to Jerusalem with him. He'll start the revolution there to overthrow Rome. We can follow him anywhere in the world by what he can produce and so forth. And they have this perception. Jesus, when he perceives that, it says in Matthew and Mark, he constrains his disciples to get into the boat and to go to the other side. He sends the crowd away. Look, it wasn't that he wasn't king when Gabriel came to Mary. She said to him, she said, he said to her that he's going to sit on the throne of his father David and of his kingdom there will be no end. When the wise men came from the east, they say, where is he that is born king of the Jews? He was a king. He had come for that reason, but not the way humans perceived that. When he stood before Pilate in the end of John's gospel, Pilate asked him, are you king? And he says, my kingdom is not of this world, else my servants would fight. He, he doesn't deny it. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. When the soldiers take him and beat him and mock him and put a crown of thorns on his head, they say, behold, the king of the Jews, they spit on him, they mock him, put a scepter in his hand. And God won't let any human mechanism put this king on the throne. Because he said in Psalm 2, verse 6, Behold, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. He's the one who will do it. And he'll do it in right fashion. When Christ returns, that will be the triumphal entry. As he comes to Armageddon, and it says that there will, there will be a name on him, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That is who he is. But you see, he's prophet, priest, and king, and here they just want that end result. He fed us. He took care of us. Let's make him king. They were used to Caesar. They were used to King Herod. Let's make him king. But first, he comes as a prophet, a teacher. And there's many in the world today that receive him that way. Jesus, one of the great, one of the great teachers, religious leaders, Buddha, Muhammad, Jesus. You know, you see those weird license plates with all those different symbols. You know, everybody's really got it together, you know. Um, but he didn't just come as a prophet. He didn't just come as a teacher. He came as a priest. No doubt he's functioning that way in our lives today. And that was relative to our sin. That was relative to his sacrifice. That was relative to the need we have in this earthly journey. His ministry as priest. And people don't want that. They'll let him be a prophet or a teacher and push him off to the side. But people don't want him to be a priest, the one who came to deal with the issue of sin in their lives. The world doesn't want that Jesus and needs it so desperately. And certainly, he came as king. We call him Lord. That means that we're his servants. But Jesus, looking at the crowd, wanting to make him king, he says here, he takes his disciples. Evening was come. His disciples went down to the sea. He sends them off. Um, 
He knows them. No doubt, because James and John are still going to argue over sitting on his right hand and his left hand. You know, they're listening to this, must make him king, let's make him king. The disciples are thinking, finally, you know, Judas figures he's going to be the Department of Treasury. Uh, you know, Peter's going to be the prime minister. James and John are going to be his main counselors sitting on his right hand, left hand. Uh, Simon the Zealot's going to be Department of Defense. You know, I mean, they all, they all got a place where they're going to be. The kingdom is coming. But he constrains them. And he sends them away. Because look, he knows the storm is coming. It's no surprise to Jesus. They're going to be surprised. He knows when the storms are coming in our lives. I don't like storms. The Christian experience seems to be in a storm, coming out of a storm, or going into a storm. And I don't like that. Heaven's going to be so much better when all these storms are over. But he doesn't send them into the storm, into difficulty, into danger. He rescues them from a greater danger. The wrong perception of who he is is way more dangerous than the storm. And it's the same in our lives today. If we just think Jesus is the bread king, that's Grandpa Stroman, by the way. If we think Jesus is the bread king, and there's whole church movements built around that positive confession, prosperity, that this is what, and that if there's something wrong in your life, it's because there's sin or, or because your lack of faith that Jesus is only there to bolster us and make us something and bless us. No, he's there to teach us also. He's also there to be the Lord of the storms in our lives. And he was actually rescuing them, sending them. <clears throat> because in all of our lives, look, there are storms of correction. Jonah needed one of those. God allowed it to come. He loved him. He loved the people he was sending him to. But that storm was a storm of correction. But there are also storms of instruction. And this is one of those. And they're in the middle of his will when they go out to sea and they find themselves in this storm. And sometimes I have to remember in the middle of a difficult situation, I'm in the middle of his will. My, my first thoughts are usually, okay, he's dealing with me. Where did I blow it? I don't have to look far, usually. Okay, Lord, I, uncle, you know. I mean, you know, the, and I don't normally think, Lord, you're here to grow me. You're here to deep in me. You're here in greater ways to conform me into your image and to teach me that you can walk on the water of this difficulty. He sends them off. It says they went down to the sea. Matthew told us they went over towards Capernaum. They went in that direction. Mentions it here. And one thing these boys could do, Peter and the crew, they could sail the Sea of Galilee. And they've been doing that their entire lives. They were completely familiar with it. Storms, all of that. They understood all of that. Fishing, sunrise, sunset. And they're headed off from the east to the west. The sun is going down. No doubt it's beautiful. They're on the Sea of Galilee. He sends them off. 
And he must have said something about coming to them because John, who was there, John remembers the crowds wanting to make him king. John remembers him constraining them. I'm telling you guys, get into the boat. He has to, you know, and get them out of there. John remembers all of that. Headed out, sails up towards the west, setting sun. And then John tells us this storm comes up. He says, They entered into a ship, verse 17, and they went over the sea toward Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus was not come to them. So he, he draws this picture for us. They're on their way. It doesn't tell us. The next, the next verse says, And the sea arose by reason of a great wind. Arose theirs is the imperfect tense. The sea arose more and more. The reason for that was a great wind that blew. Winds on the Sea of Galilee. Guys have been there 600 and some feet below sea level. You know, the cold air will drop down from the Mediterranean. There's an inversion layer. All of a sudden you'll have these. I've seen, I have photographs at home of eight-foot waves on the Sea of Galilee. It's, it's shocking. You think you're on the shore on a bad day in a storm or something, in the Atlantic or Pacific. But... These men head out. They know what's going on, sailing. At some point, the wind starts to blow. It's contrary. The sail has to come down. Then they have to go to the oars because it's getting worse. They're in the dark. The sea comes up into this huge turmoil. And these are guys that are familiar with it all. The great thing is they don't throw the towel in. They keep rowing. We're told that they own, they're in the midst of the sea. John gives us the furlongs. If, if the journey's five to seven miles, they're kind of right out in the middle of everything. Uh, Matthew tells us they're in the midst of the sea, and they keep rowing. They keep rowing, and they keep rowing. But the interesting thing here is they're in the middle of their most familiar circumstances. They're in their wheelhouse. They're in the place they should have been most comfortable. They're in the place where they were most confident. They're in the place where they're used to having control of everything that's going on. And the Lord's allowed a storm to come there. You see, the feeding of the 5,000 was the main course they were being taught. The storm on the sea is final exams. They saw his mercy in the feeding of the 5,000, but they're not expecting it. They lose track of it. They're, they're, they're in this storm now, and they're thinking, man, I wish he was asleep on the pillow. You know, I, I can't believe we're out here alone. He said he would come to us. John says to us, he was in the storm in the boat, he hadn't yet come to them. And look, most of the world is where this picture is drawn, alone, in the dark, in some storm, without Jesus. That's the world that we live in, alone, in the dark. 
darkness of philosophy, the darkness of war, the darkness of politics, the darkness of false religion, you know, the darkness of insanity around us, moral decay. Most of the people in this world, the majority, are not saved. They are in the darkness. They're in whatever storm their existence is. And they're without Jesus. They're without Jesus. I pray there's no one like that here this morning. We may be in a storm. I can't pray that shouldn't happen in your life because Jesus sends them into this one. Sometimes it feels like we're in the dark. And when you're in the dark, certain terrors are augmented. They're just, you know... You walk through the cemetery during the day, it's one thing. You walk through the cemetery at night, that's another thing, right? It's funny how that, uh, they, that in the darkness, terrors can assume, you know, another dimension. Unfamiliar territory. Here are these guys in their own wheelhouse. Look, maybe today... And I'm sure it's true in some lives. You're in a circumstance where all of a sudden you feel like you're not in control. Well, you weren't in control when the bread and the fish were being broken either. And you're in a storm, and it's in the most familiar, familiar territory. You, you, you've given up. You, you know how to navigate. You've taken down the sail. Now you're rowing. It says he comes to them in the fourth watch. That's between three and six in the morning. If they left when the sun was setting, how long they were at sea, I don't know. When the storm comes up and the sail comes down, they've been rowing probably at least eight hours, maybe nine hours. And and they're still dead center. They're far from the shore in any direction. Mark tells us they're tortured. Their backs are aching. Their hands are blisters are bleeding. They're rowing and rowing. I got to give it to them. They didn't give up. They didn't give up. They they could have just said, let's cut and head back. We can go tomorrow. That'll be way easier. But he told them to go. He constrained them. And they're still at it. I got to give that to them. Remarkable scene. So they're working. They're working and they're working, moving in this direction. The sea arose, it tells us, because of a great wind that blew. And it says they rowed about 25 or 30 furlongs. And then it says this, they see Jesus walking on the sea, drawing nigh unto the ship, and they were afraid. They're not afraid of the storm, but they've never seen a water walker before. You know, Matthew says they think it's a ghost. Mark says they think it's a phantasm, you know, which is a superstitious thing. They must be thinking this is an old sailor that drowned out here and he's coming to talk to us, you know, just whatever it is. But, but I understand he's coming to them. It tells us in Mark chapter 6, verse 46, that he was on the mountain praying and he saw them. They were being tortured by the waves. He saw them. Listen, he's at least three miles away, in the dark, in a storm. Seeing them from there was as remarkable as walking on the water and as miraculous. He's at a great distance. His eyes are upon them. His concern is for them. 
His prayers have come under them to hold them up. The same is true today for you and I. He sees us tortured, rowing, trying to maneuver in the storm, trying to navigate whatever difficulty might be in our life. He has promised never to leave us or forsake us. We might say, well, he's left us. No, he really hasn't, and he hasn't forsaken you. And sometimes it just stinks. There's storms of broken homes and broken families and broken hearts. Sickness and loss. Things that cut very deep. And I believe he wants me to understand that he sees. He was watching them tortured in the rowing. It says he went up on that mountain to pray. Matthew and Mark both tell us that he's praying. No doubt he's praying for them. He sees them. And then it says that that he comes to them. Did he walk down the mountain and just walk out onto the water? Were there fishermen? Was anybody on shore? Just did you see that? Just, you know, or does he come to them the same way the boat goes to the land when he steps into it supernaturally? Did he just appear close to them on the water walking? Was obviously, if he's walking on the water, gravity means nothing, so... Uh, he could have crossed that distance however he wanted to. And it says when they see them, they're terrified, they're afraid. They've never seen, haven't read the chapter. It was one thing for him to be in the boat with them. That's way different than walking on the water. And it says they're terrified. He says to them, it is I, be not afraid. It is I, be not afraid as a present imperative. You must stop being afraid. Look, that's hard to hear when we're in a storm. That's hard to hear if we read the scripture, we feel the Holy Spirit impressing down on our heart or the Lord speaks to us and he says, you must stop being afraid. And we know that's true. Lord, I shouldn't be afraid. Death may be hanging over our bedside and will be at some point. Be not afraid. You must stop being afraid. But before he says, don't be afraid, he says, it is I. It is I. That always comes before, don't be afraid. I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. It is I. It's the ego am I there, which he uses through John's gospel. John uses it many times, which is, I am, what the burning bush said to Moses, I am. He's going to say to them before Abram was, I am. And they're learning something way different here. I am, be not afraid. Now, of course, the remarkable thing in Matthew, now Matthew was in the boat, John was in the boat. Mark heard about it from Peter and Luke heard about it, interviewing eyewitnesses and so forth. And Luke doesn't do this storm. He did the earlier storm. But Matthew tells us that Peter says, Lord, if that's you, 
tell me to come to you on the water. Now, I don't know what the other guys were thinking. Shut up, let them get in the boat. You know, I, I don't know. You know, and what do you mean if that's you? How many other people you seen walking out here at night on the water, you know? And, and it doesn't give us the impression that he's being tossed and turned, you know, by the waves. And he goes, oh, there he is on top of the wave. Oh, and that he's drenched from the wind blowing the water off. It seems that there's a pathway in the water. He's coming with great stillness and calmness. He's not drenched by the elements. He's walking and it's terrifying the way he's coming. He says, don't be afraid. It's me. <laughs> there are those times when there are difficulties and things seem threatening. And he says, you have to stop being afraid. The reason is because it's me, because I'm in it with you. Not because the storm goes away, because I'm here. And I know that's why this is written. Because there are going to be storms for our lives. And I'm very caught up. I live very much in this physical existence. I'm thankful for the word because it takes me somewhere else. I'm thankful for the Holy Spirit because he speaks to me in the midst of this journey. I'm thankful for Jesus because I know however this ends, I have glory, I have heaven. But the truth is, this is earth. This ain't heaven. And the journey is difficult sometimes. Those difficult days come. When they saw him, they were afraid. Matthew says, troubled. Troubled and afraid. But he said unto them, now they're more afraid of him than they are of the storm. You know, the, 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 here he comes walking on the water. It says, then they willingly received him into the ship, and immediately the ship was at the land whither they went. Interesting. It says, then they willingly received him into the ship. Isn't it interesting that sometimes people won't willingly receive him till they're in a storm? How often unsafe friends and relatives, you know, it is until the very hardest and darkest day that they finally cry out. It isn't until the bread king's gone. Because there's that period of anger. Oh, yeah, you're a God of love, then why is this going on in my life? Oh, yeah, that God, you know he's a God of love, then how can this happen? Oh, you know, and it's not till they're overwhelmed with the storm sometimes that they willingly receive. And that's what he's asked 
us to do. That's what he's asked the unbelieving world to do. John says that's why he's written the gospel, that we might believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and believing we might have life through his name. He tells us in the first chapter, he came unto his own, his own received him not, but as many as receive him, to them he's given authority to them to become the children of God, not born of the flesh or the will of man, but born of the Spirit. They willingly received him. And that's what we all did at some point in our lives. And if you're here today and you don't know Christ, look, whatever your difficulty is, because he loves you, it may get worse and worse. If he wants you, until you willingly receive him, not because a Christian's jamming it down your throat, Not because somebody else is giving you pat answers for pat problems. But because all of a sudden you see him walking on the water. He's above it. He's not just the Lord of bread. He's the Lord of storms. And it says that when he stepped into the boat, immediately the bow crunches up on the shore. They were in the midst of the sea, Matthew tells us. He steps into the boat three miles. They didn't all go, whoa, you know, crunch. You know, there's no evidence of that at all. This time-space continuum was created by him. He's not bound as he breaks five loaves and two fish. He's not bound as he walks on the water. He's not bound as he changes water into wine. He's not bound as he cleanses a leper or restores sight to the blind or calls Lazarus out of the tomb. He's not bound when he rises from the dead or when he ascends to heaven. There isn't anything that forbids them immediately being at their destination. Our destination really is Jesus in the boat with us. It's better than a sunny day without Jesus in the boat with us. I learned that. And it says, as he gets in the boat with them, immediately the boat crunches up on the, on the shore. And Matthew and Mark tell us at the same time the wind stops. So just imagine, he steps in the boat with them, the wind goes away, and they're there. And it always seems to me that's the way it is, you know, we... We, we come to that point where all of a sudden there's this presence. The bow crunches up on the shore. The wind's gone. We realize he's there. And we go, duh. Why didn't I believe this the whole time? Duh, Lord, you were there. Lord, why didn't I just take hold of you in the midst of this? You know, he says to us, fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine. 
when thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. You know, though the flame kindle upon thee, thou shalt not be burned. He, he goes through these pictures. He tells us the same in Job. He tells us the same in Psalm 77. And that he's with us in the water. Psalm 77, interesting, it says it like this. It says, the voice, uh, the voice of thy thunder was in the heaven. The lightnings lighted the world. The earth trembled and shook. Thy way is in the sea and thy path in great waters and thy footsteps are not known. Isn't it interesting? It says they, they took him and they wanted to make him king, but he knows. By the end of the chapter, it says many are forsaking him. Verse 66. Because he's not the kind of king they want him to be. You know, these men are going to live in storms. Judas will commit suicide. Ten of them will be martyred. John will have the martyrdom of a long life. But they're headed into storms. What they learn of him and what you and I learn of him in different circumstances if he tarries, we're all going to be in that place. We'll be in the place of hospice. Everybody dies of good health. We'll all be in that place where whatever storm that seems to be, he's going to be there, walking over top of it, in the middle of it, and say, it is I. Be not afraid. Be not afraid. And he's going to receive us. It's going to come. And now when he feel, we feel like he's not close, we feel like he's not paying attention, this picture says, no, no, he's uh, in fact praying for you. He ever liveth and maketh intercession for the saints. He sees your storm. He has no trouble, though you're miles away. His vision of you is supernatural. He has no trouble watching you. He's praying for you. He walked in our skin. He knows what it is to be tortured in the rowing, to be going through great difficulty. And he knows the perfect time to come walking above all of that from on high into our lives, into our storms. I wish, in one sense, this wasn't in this lesson wasn't here because it unnerves me. You know, I would rather do the correspondence course. Lord, I'm the, glad the disciples had to learn that, but, you know, can't I just learn the lesson from reading what happened to them? But they come, don't they? Storms into our lives of different kinds, different shapes. They all make us doubt him. Where is he? He said he'd never leave us or forsake us. How can this be happening? And then there's that great sense. He's not aware. He doesn't care. I did something wrong. No, they're in the middle of his will. They're right where he told them to be. He sent them into the storm because what they'll learn there is going to keep them safer than what they would have learned on the land where everybody wants to make Jesus king. 
but not Lord. They want to make him king, but not priest. And the lesson learned in the middle of this far outlasts. You know, John just says they wanted to make him king. Then the whole rest of it is about the storm and what took place and what he was really king of. And Mark and Matthew tell us when that ship crunched up onto the shore, the wind stopped. They look around. They're all dripping. Hands blistered. Backs killing them. He's dry. He's in the midst. And it says that they worshipped him. Worship is not singing praise. That can be expressed that way. But worship is they bowed down before him. They bowed down before the Lord of storms. What a, you know, in one sense, I wish this wasn't in here, but in another sense, what more precious picture could we have? What greater gift could he have given to us in this earthly journey, in the storms that we will face. If you don't know him today, I encourage you after the service, get up here. We'd love to pray with you. You know, it says that when people willingly receive him, they find they're at their destination. He came unto Israel. He came unto his own. It says his own received him not. But to as many as received him, to them he's given authority to become the children of God. Not by the will of the flesh or blood, but of God's spirit. If you're here today and you've only known religion and you've never known the Lord of storms, you've never known Jesus Christ, he, when you willingly receive him, he steps into the boat. And all of a sudden you realize this is where I always wanted to be. This is the destination. Let's stand. Let's pray. And if that's you today, you don't know him, I encourage you to get up here after the service. We'd love to pray with you. Love to give you a copy of the scripture. Father, I know you've overheard, Lord, and, and this is kind of a lesson. Sometimes we just kind of want to file it away. And then we need your help remembering where it is when the day comes. Lord, be with us when we're in our most comfortable and familiar space where we think we know how to navigate the waters. When we implement, implement everything we know and we still find we're being overwhelmed. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever, Lord. Said, I am the Lord, I change not. So, Lord, for everyone standing here in this room right now that's in a storm, that's in a situation of turmoil and torture, Lord, rowing, 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 draw close to them, Lord. You see from where you are miraculously. You pray. And you come, Lord, in the storms of life. Come to those here today, Lord, that 
that most need your help, Lord. And Lord, we love you. Lord, we know, Lord, you're praying for us now, preparing to come, Lord, for us on these waters. The nations raging, Lord, like the sea. That you're preparing to come and take us, Lord, to that shore, Lord. You are our hope, Lord. We look to you and we pray in your name and for your glory. Amen.